I'll be reading from Matthew chapter 27, verses 45 and 46. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eloi, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The same passage, nearly word for word, appears in the book of Mark. And I could sum up this entire passage, message, and what this phrase means to me in, in this simple statement. Jesus, in this moment, when he cried out from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In this moment, he experienced the the full separation from God due to sin so that you and I would never have to experience that complete separation due to our sins. Let me say it maybe in a different way. Jesus experienced hell, absolute separation from God, so that you and I could skip hell, we could choose to skip hell and enjoy eternity with God in heaven and the new earth. That is what the words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, mean to me. They mean that I have a choice to continue to embrace this world and, and, and all its corruption or, or to fall into the embrace of Jesus and have hope for a future. Let me to just take a few minutes this morning to unpack this and explain why I believe this to be the case, that this is what this cry on the cross meant. First, we have to understand or maybe be reminded of of just what sin does to our relationship with God, what sin does to all of our relationships. The Bible tells us in Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 2, but your iniquities have separated you from your God, your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Sin separates us from God. The best illustration and one I think we can all relate to is what happens when when children disobey their parents. I don't think I've ever told a story maybe in, my, in any of my sermons about my older sister. She's not like myself or my little sister who are more open books. My older sister is more of a, of a private person. So I won't give exacting details of this story, but, but my older sister, Stacy, when we were living little and we were living in Angwin, California, and as I mentioned in a previous sermon that I used to run all over that mountain, well, my sister did as well. We ran all over the hills around the college, Pacific Union College, and all over the mountains of Angwin. It was a different time, and it seemed like a much safer world then. But one day, my older sister did not come home when she normally would have come home. She did not check in earlier when she normally would have, have checked in. And after some time, my parents began to wonder, or I think it was just my mom at the time, my dad was at work, began to wonder where my sister was. And the time went by, the minutes went by, I think maybe even an hour or so went by, and, and my sister still did not come home. And my mom began to worry, and she called my dad, and my dad began to worry, 
And my mom began to call around looking for my sister. And this was the days, of course, of no cell phones. So she was calling from house to house the friends that she thought might know where Stacy was at. And no one had seen Stacy. And now my parents were really starting to get worried. And I remember specifically, I was sitting at the table because it was now dinner time. It was almost dark when my older sister finally walked in the door. My mom immediately was on her. Where have you been? What have you been doing? Now I remember my older sister acting a little dodgy, as dodgy as you could when you're only a fourth grader. She was only in fourth grade. Like I said, it was a a different time, a safer time. And because she was only in fourth grade, there was really no good reason she had for for not coming home earlier, for not coming at least by the house to check in and and let my mom know where she would be. But she just kept avoiding the conversation. Well, after much prodding, it finally came out. My sister had not come home because she had done something that she knew was not right, and so she was wanting to avoid seeing my mom and dad. I won't tell you what it was, even though it wasn't that big a deal. After all, she was only a fourth grader. There's not much you can do as a fourth grader that is that big a deal. But it was something that she knew was not right in her mind and that she was uncomfortable with. And so she had avoided home. She had avoided the the relationship of my parents because she had done wrong. If you have ever avoided someone, if you have ever avoided a a relationship, if you have ever avoided going someplace because you didn't want to happen to run into someone because you have done wrong, then you know the power that sin has to separate. If there's a sin in your life in one of your relationships right now, it's probably pushing you away from another person. It is this power of sin to separate that makes us think we have to do something right after we do something wrong in order to get right again with Jesus. That's what, that's what we're feeling when, when, when we do something wrong and then there's something inside of us that makes us think we have to do something right again in order to get right with Jesus. We're very unkind. And we know it's the wrong thing to do and we don't want to go to Jesus with our last action being this great unkindness and and so we do something kind, something that sort of can, can erase the unkindness before we go to Jesus. We have a lustful thought, and, and we don't want that to be the last thought we think about before we go to Jesus. And so we try to think about something else. Maybe we, we listen to some Christian music before we go to Jesus because, well, we're trying to clean up ourselves because we feel that separation. Sin separates, and we're trying to do some things to, to draw ourselves back in. But we can't ultimately do that. This is the power of sin. It separates us from God. And there are no little sins, even though sometimes we feel like there are. All sin separates us from God. And the ultimate separation is death. And not just the physical death, but an eternal separating death. The death that the Bible calls the second death. It's referenced by this term 
four different times in the book of Revelation. The last book of the Bible, the end of all things, on four different occasions, there's, there's a reference to the second death. The Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 21 and verse 8, the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. And folks, just because there's a list of sins there, don't think that that is the limitation. All that sin and fall short of the glory of God and never accept the free gift of salvation will experience that second death, that ultimate total separation. So when Jesus cries out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is experiencing the full power of sin separation. He is experiencing that lake of fire so that you and I can choose to never have to fully experience that lake of fire. To fully experience that separation from God. And that this is happening, this separation is, is taking place, that, that Jesus is experiencing the full weight of sin is confirmed throughout the Bible. And I want to take a few verses to, to show you this. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24, the Bible says this, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. I like the way the New Living Translation renders this same text. He personally, speaking of Jesus, carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds we are healed. He carried all your sin. Think about this. He carried all your sin. He carried all of my sin. He carried all of your children's sin. He carried all of your spouse's sins. He carried all of your friend, best friend's sins. He carried all of Hitler's sins and all the sins of all of Congress and, and the Senate and the President of the United States. He carried all the sins of Mother Teresa and your grandma. He carried the sins of Herod and Pilate and the Apostle Paul. All the sins that everyone has ever committed. He carried in himself so that you and I would have the choice to live forever with God. He chose, he willingly surrendered and chose to be separated eternally from God so that we could live forever. Or as the text says, so that we could be healed. The second text that confirms this idea is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. God made him who knew no sin. In other words, Jesus knew no sin. He embraced no sin. He desired no sin. He had no sin in him. But he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Do you know what righteousness is? Righteousness is, is holy. Jesus was holy and he became sin so that we who are sinful could become holy. Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he became sin for us. Have you ever felt guilt that was crippling? 
I mean, truly crippling. Jesus took that. He took your crippling guilt. He took my crippling guilt. No wonder he cried out. There's some of us that that struggle with sleeping at night because of things we've done in our lives. There's some of us that, that, that struggle with with talking to someone because we don't know how to say sorry for all that we've done. And Jesus took all of that, not just from from me and not just from you and not just from one person here or there, but the Bible tells us he took all that was in the past and he took all that was coming in the future and he took all that was in that present moment and he took it all upon him. No wonder he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This theme runs throughout the Bible that this is what Jesus did for us. In Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4 through 6, in a prophecy about this moment, speaking of Jesus, surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. Jesus received the punishment of sin. Separation from God so that we can have peace. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Jesus. This Easter weekend, we're going to celebrate the resurrection. You may enjoy some candy and some, some great food, and, and, and that's all wonderful. But pause for a minute to think of what got us to that celebration. Jesus' agony so that we could have peace and celebration. Jesus stepping in for us, the Holy One to become unholy, for the unholy to become holy. Now, no human words or experience can fully comprehend what Jesus did for us on that cross almost 2,000 years ago. We only have flawed analogies of such grace and, and such love, but But still those analogies give us little glimpses into the picture of the divine. And as I was writing this sermon, I thought of one of those moments in my life when I had this this glimpse of what Jesus did for me and what he did for you. This moment came that I thought of when, when my oldest son, who is now 11 years old, at the time he was just four years old, and at that time, he only had one little brother. Of course, now we have two other boys. But at that time, it was just Dayton, my four-year-old, and Landon, my two-year-old. They're only 22 months apart. And Landon had been acting up, and he received some correction, and he received some warning. But finally, I said, that's enough. And I got up, and I said to Landon, Landon, come with me. Let's go to your bedroom. He was going to be receiving a SWAT. And I got up and I took Landon by the hand and we began to walk. And my, and my four-year-old, Dayton, 
just four years old, perceiving what was about to happen, got up from what he was doing, came to me as I was walking down the hall, took my hand, and said, Daddy, spank me instead. Jesus, knowing what would be our fate, perceiving, understanding, foreseeing what would happen to us because of our choices, made a decision with the Father and with the Holy Spirit to leave what he was doing, to get up, to climb a hill, to be hung on a cross and experience the greatest darkness of humanity. All of sin, full separation, the second death. He climbed that hill and he took sin's hand and he said to sin, take me instead. The wages of sin is death. Jesus took sin's hand and said, take me instead. Jesus did this to give myself, to give yourself, to give your family a choice. Jesus didn't do it with a guarantee. He did it just to give you a choice. To say yes to him and peace and no to this world. So I want to invite some of you right now to make that choice. To make the choice for the gift of Jesus and his plan for your life. As a great book, Ellen White said that when Jesus was dying on the cross, he could not see beyond the portals of the tomb. In other words, the, the darkness of sin was so deep upon him that he literally thought in that moment his feelings were such that, that he did not know if he would ever be raised from the dead. He, he was not sure that Easter Sunday would come because, because in that moment, sin was so oppressive upon him. And yet he still chose to give us a choice. And so wherever you are right now, if you have not accepted the gift of salvation, if you have not repented of your sins, if you have not been baptized and said, Jesus, I am fully yours, if you have not made the choice for Jesus, then I want to invite you to do that right now. If you've wandered away from Jesus and there's some sin, some, some crisis in your life, by your choice that is separating you from Jesus and you're so tired of carrying the weight of that sin. You don't want it anymore. You just want to say, Jesus, I want to be yours. I want to invite you to make that choice. Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that we could say, Jesus, you chose me, now I choose you. And so right now I just want to invite you in your homes where you're at. We're not in a church, there's nobody else around, maybe your family's around, but that's fine.
you've never accepted Jesus' gift before, if you have not truly repented of your sins, if you have not made that decision to, to fully embrace Jesus as your Savior, or if you've made a choice in your past, but now you've chosen all kinds of things that are separating you from Jesus, you have a sin in your life and you just can't take it anymore and you say, I want to get rid of it. I want to invite you right now to just kneel with me where you're at and to pray this prayer with me. And you can pray this in your heart. You can pray it out loud. But because Jesus experienced the greatest pain of humanity, the second death, the fiery hell, separation from God, you and, I, you and I have a choice to kneel before him and to stand up in peace and forgiveness. So pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I thank you for choosing to take sin's hand and say to sin, take me instead. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Jesus, give me the peace that comes from only knowing you. And Jesus, thank you for becoming sin so that I could be made right, so that I could be healed from the sins and the power and the destruction of this world. Jesus, thank you for enduring the cross so that I never would have to. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, I hope you'll know this. That Jesus says that anyone that calls on me, I will in no way cast out. Jesus says that if you confess your sins, I am faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. I can't comprehend this, but I know it's true because I've experienced it in my life. Stand up off your knees and know that Jesus is your Savior and he will continue to walk with you as you call on him every day.